it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got Alan West at the bottom of the hour. You want to make sense of what's happening in Texas at the border? I'm watching some scenes this morning. It's getting worse in the Rio Grande Valley. Thousands of people, men. And when asked by our reporter, Griff Jenkins, what's going on? Uh, they, where are you from? This guy says, I'm from Sri Lanka. What are you doing here? Oh, I just wanted to come. I want to come to America. Borders open. Do you believe this? So we're not dealing with Ecuador, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Cuba. We're going to the co- off the coast of India. That's how insane this is. We'll get some uh, sense of that and also that what's going on with the war in Ukraine. Uh, as Vladimir Putin has the worst, uh, as the uh, most brazen barrage against civilians to date. In this war that's nine months old. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I think it's more likely than not that sometime in the next year or 18 months, uh, we will have a recession. Yeah, that's a pretty big statement, especially from Larry Summers, Obama's uh, Treasury Secretary. Economy warning signs are flashing from the big bankers in the business as inflation numbers and interest rates take their toll. We have the latest. Number two. When we first came in office, the first bill that we proposed was for a pathway for citizenship, was to fix a broken immigration system, which was broken under the previous administration. Are you nuts? Enforce the border. Don't worry about asylum to people who already broke our laws. Are you crazy? That's the vice president last night bursting at the seams. And Biden administration doesn't seem to care. That's happening in major cities as thousands are bused for sanctuary status to sanctuary cities. Where do they, uh, what do they find? Little housing, no jobs, no money, and nothing to do. And where is the VP who's in charge of tackling this crisis, yucking it up with the humorless Seth Meyers? Number one. I would expect to see J.D. Vance to start to take a further lead away from Tim Ryan for a number of reasons. This debate, I have to really applaud J.D. Vance. He prepped hard and he showed up. And Tim Ryan had no excuse for his 20 years of failure. It's true. Uh, Tim Ryan is pretending to be a Republican. That's why he's even close to J.D. Vance. Senate candidates head to head. Ohio's got their debate uh, between J.D. Vance and Ryan, while in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, it may be the Democratic candidates pass, which decides their future. We have the latest strategies and explain with 28 days to go. So last night, uh, it was unbelievable what I saw with the vice president of the United States. She is somebody who has been probably the biggest letdown for Democrats that I can remember. They thought, wow, a young, uh, a young woman of mixed race who is a attorney general, a sitting senator, ran for president, failed miserably, but people saw some positives there, unable to understand the issues and answer instinctively on anything that's not rehearsed. But she was picked as vice president. And, man, if you have an opportunity as a vice president, the best thing is to have a 78-year-old failing president as the guy in charge. You could be a hero and give him or her the credit. 
but she's not capable. That's clear. Not capable at all. So she was on with Seth Meyers last night, and I'm going to get to the individual races and what we discussed. And she's on with Seth Meyers, and she's asked fun things like, let's legalize pot. Meanwhile, the vice president's in the city, and she talks about what's going on and how, how a leader must face problems. Listen, cut 19. I just think it's an absolute dereliction of duty. If you see a problem and if we agree that, that we need to address it, then if you're a leader, participate in a solution, right? Does she have a mirror? She is the vice president, number one, who specifically the borders are, number two, who wants to go to the grassroots of the problem, number three. She's done nothing, a few Zoom calls and a visit, one cursory visit to the border. She's in New York City, a sanctuary city, which is overrun, according to their Democratic mayor, with illegal immigrants. Do you think she'll visit the cruise ship in Staten Island, the hotels with illegal immigrants, the tent city that's taking root at Randall's Island, the one that's breaking down in the Bronx? That's a dereliction of duty. You don't have a one-on-one. You don't want to have a one-on-one with your mayor who express rightly the problem that they're having. And if you have a problem in New York with 16,700, how about 7,000 a day in Texas? And how about instead of blaming the Republican governor, blame the Democratic mayor in El Paso because he sent you 7,000, Mayor Adams. Governor Abbott sent you about three. Bottom line is you took over a sanctuary city. Come one, come all. That's the message. It is sinful what's happening. Governor Greg Abbott joined Jesse last night, cut 22. All you got to do is look at the numbers of the people who are both coming across the border as well as those who are victims of human trafficking. Uh, and you see that there's one person who's responsible for this, and that's Joe Biden. Go back two and a half years ago, and you saw the fewest illegal border crossings in multiple decades. And then Biden eliminated every measure put in place by President Trump uh, that has now led to an all-time record. In the past year, there have been more than 2.2 million people crossing the border illegally. Many of those are victims of human trafficking. Many did not make it here because they lost their life on the way. That's why the United Nations declared the border between the United States and Mexico, Biden's border, as the most dangerous border crossing in the entire world. Uh, I'm, I'm speechless. We cover this story so often, so many different ways. But thank goodness that Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis are doing what they're doing. They're making the people that ignore it, the Democratic administration, the Democratic candidates, they're making them take uh, uh, ownership of it. They're making Kelly criticize the administration, Senator Mark Kelly in Arizona. Same thing with the Democratic candidate who wants to be the next governor in Arizona. They're making people like Henry Cuellar's voice even seem louder as a Democrat who talks sense because he represents the border community first and as a Democrat second. Now, I have nothing – I really don't have any animosity towards these people that come here at all, especially when you hear their stories. But it's just not the way you do it. You can't let everyone in your house to stay at your house. You might have a big heart, but it's not right to your family. Who are these people? You have no idea. Well, they seem nice. No, it's, it, I'm not a youth hostel. Our country is not built to take in other countries, literally absorb other countries that is more populous than most of our states – over the last year, you're talking between two and four million illegals coming here. Listen to Kamala Harris, as clueless as will be, as you can imagine. Cut 20. 
When we first came in office, the first bill that we proposed was for a pathway for citizenship, was to fix a broken immigration system, which was broken under the previous administration. Participate in the solution, because we are offering solutions. But instead, this gamesmanship with real human beings who you know, and, and this is the problem. Us. And this is the problem with Seth Meyers. You go on a late-night uh, comedy show that just wants to kiss your butt. For not you not to follow up as a New Yorker and say, wait a second. The people that are coming here illegal, 4 million are coming here illegally, not because you didn't do a massive immigration reform. It's because you're not enforcing the border. Enforcing the border has nothing to do with comprehensive immigration reform. You cannot even have it unless you have security first. Chuck Schumer will tell you that. Harry Reid would have told you that before he died. They knew this. They knew you could not open the border and have an open border and have comprehensive immigration reform. She doesn't even care. She doesn't know. She wanted to open up the border when she was pretending to be a candidate. In California, they don't care. But the rest of the country does and should because it's now everybody's problem. I thought Britt Hume put it great. You thought it was theatrics. It was brilliance for Governor DeSantis to grab some of the illegal immigrants who wanted to go to Martha's Vineyard and put them on a plane and made the elite take notice. Cut 24. And this is an issue that seems at long last to have gained some visibility. For the longest time, we at Fox were covering this and showing video every day like that which you just saw of migrants just, you know, walking across the shallows of the river or swimming across and, and pouring into the United States, uh, most of them being, a great percentage of them being allowed to stay, um, even though they're illegally here. And the administration wasn't doing much about it and still doesn't. And for a long time, it wasn't really covered. Uh, the effect, it seems to me, of, of those migrants being shipped north to cities and, of course, most famously to Martha's Vineyard, seems to have awakened some in the media uh, when the, because of the reaction to it. Uh, and it's now getting some coverage. And it's outright lawlessness tolerated along the border and has been for years. Yeah, it is lawlessness and it's sickening and it's happening. And now Britt Hume brought it up. It, you call it theatrics. Why is it theatrics? Excuse me. El Paso, the Rio Grande Valley, has to pay the price because you can't enforce the border. Why can't Martha's Vineyard pay the price? Instead, you get 100 National Guardsmen to ferry off 55 illegal immigrants and get them onto a military base. I'm sure their life is just great now. Uh, Big hearts you have. So let's fast forward to the economy. Right now, the economy is not working for the president. Gas is going up again. Last year at this time was 327. Now it's 392. Yesterday it was 391. Last month it was 371. The president liked to take a bow and said, I have released the strategic oil reserve. I have found other ways to get oil and gas down, and I'm a hero, even though it's twice what it was when I took over. So now at 392, it's going up again, and now you guessed it. The Putin price hike. Good job. Diesel, 512. What was it yesterday? 506. It's 512 today. Why does it matter? That's who's delivering the food to the supermarkets. That's who's delivering clothes to the stores. That's who keeps the, that those, that's what trucks use. Long story short, that adds to inflation. Overall, if you look around what our country is doing in response to the prices, the taxes, and the congestion and the crime, they're leaving. They just did a study um, called smartasset.com. Where are people going? The top locations losing rich young professionals, number one, New York, 15,078. Number two, loss in professionals at about 8,000. California, Illinois is three. 
Washington is four, and five is Massachusetts. What do they have in common? All blue, all high taxes. Where are they going? They're going to Texas. They're going to Florida. They're going to Washington State. They're going to Colorado and New Jersey in that order. Four of the five are red states that have reasonable tax rules and opportunity and a chance not to get carjacked on the way in. The least affordable states, Hawaii, California, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey at five. Yeah, it's just a, a nightmare. And per, and the one city in Texas that has lost the most is the most liberal is Austin. The average home price reduction, highest in Austin, has lost 10% of its value. Phoenix is second at nine. Palm, B, Palm Bay, Florida is third. Charleston, South Carolina is fourth. Ogden, Utah is fifth. So that's our economy. And what I think is most disturbing is the people in the know that I guess lean left, I wouldn't know for sure, that feel as though they know where this country is heading, uh, is people like Jamie Dimon. He sees a U.S. recession in six to nine months. He says right now our economy is okay, but he's worried about what's next. Cut 25. Inflation, which obviously is you know changing the effect of those numbers I just told you about, it's rates going up more than people expected already and probably a little bit more from here. It's QT, which we've never had before. Uh, so therefore, the unknown effects, and you see it today in bond markets around the world and sovereign markets and people selling U.S. Treasury debt, and it's the war. And they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six, nine months from now. And that's the largest bank in the country, who, by the way, got hacked by Russia, it looks like. When I come back, I'll take some calls and go to your emails, briankillme.com. Uh, and then I'm going to let you hear what Larry Summers had to say. I, I put on these people here. I don't know. I don't think you need to hear a right wing economist. I think you just need to hear. I know you have your own reality, your own investments. You know what it's like to have. You see the size of your paycheck and you see the size of your bills. And then I want you to know where where the smartest people in the country think we're heading uh, because they got to worry about other people's money as well as their own. And then at the bottom of the hour, we'll expand on what's happening over in the war in Ukraine. A lot of movement, even though today was a terrible day for Ukraine. I actually think of the big picture. It shows a desperation with Russia. I'll explain. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They've borrowed and spent trillions of dollars that we just don't have, and that's thrown fuel on the fire of the inflation problem. And at the same time, they've completely gone to war against America's energy sector. And you can't do both of those things at the same time. They're each bad ideas. But when you do both of them at the same time, you're going to get record inflation, which is exactly what you expect to get. Do you think President Biden is to blame for the inflation crisis? Well, I think everybody's to blame. I mean, we're coming out of a pandemic. It's a problem. The question is, are we going to sit around for another 10 years and point fingers, 
What I've been proposing is a significant tax cut for working people and small businesses. Put money in people's pockets. All right, uh, that is Tim Ryan. So he's in a tough position. He's got to say everybody is. No, not really, because with the president, you coming out of the pandemic, absolutely. Supply chain would have been a challenge, and we did spend a lot of money on purpose. Nobody was caught surprised by it. The abuse is incredible on the PPP program on down. But that was J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan in the debate last night to be the next senator from or replace Rob Portman in Ohio. Be great if Portman stayed. But J.D. Vance, he's got the military background, came from a rural upbringing, Ivy League education, then became a self-made success story, big movie and book uh, book sales. Uh, And now people worry about his credibility. I don't uh, worry about his lack of experience. I don't. Tim Ryan's got a problem. In 2003, when he burst on the scene, I said, this guy wants to, he's took it on Nancy Pelosi. He wants to be a moderate. He has a problem with Democrats and their agenda. He voted 100% of the time with Nancy Pelosi, 100% of the time with Joe Biden, and the spending on the rescue package is terrible. What he just spent and signed off on uh, with this uh, inflation reduction deal, which is a green, a new green deal, is absolutely awful. Uh, almost everything that's been going on right now is hurting the economy. That according to other economists. So he can't skate through that and say it's everyone's problem. And that's his problem. Here's more from that exchange. Cut three. This is the crowd that J.D. is running around with, the election deniers, the extremists. That's not Ohio. I find it interesting how preoccupied you are with this at a time when people can't afford groceries, people can't afford to walk down the streets safely. Let's focus on the significant issues right now, (laughs) Tim. And nobody really thinks Ohio was not on the up and up. It was uh, supposed to be too close to call, one to Trump by eight points. Mike DeWine is up by 20 points to get another four years as governor of that state. I think J.D. Vance is going to pull away with this. Erin Perrine does, too. Listen to what she said. Cut 10. I would expect to see J.D. Vance to start to take a further lead away from Tim Ryan for a number of reasons. This debate, I have to really applaud J.D. Vance. He prepped hard and he showed up time and again. He did not allow Tim Ryan to try and define his positions. He talked about the fact that he believes in reasonable exceptions. And in the case of that 10-year-old, he said that he would have said that that was an abortion that should have been allowed Mm -hmm. and that child should not have had to cross lines. But he brought it back to a much stronger point. And Tim Ryan had no excuse for his 20 years. Years of failure. Yeah, or not pushing back on his party. Hey, uh, by the way, people writing me on BrianKillMe.com, just click on comments. Uh, a little bit of what we talked about in the first block uh, about Kamala Harris saying, I wanted to do comprehensive reform, as if that's an excuse not to do border security. I uh, said, hi, Brian. Kamala's roof is leaking. The roof is, is, uh, causes aging, ineffective roof. The roof cannot be fixed for months. It's going to pour all week. I guess Kamala would not tarp the roof because she's waiting for root causes to be solved with the roof. Better to let the wood rot and the mold spread. I hear you. I love the analogy. Thanks so much for the email. Other people are writing about uh, about, uh, Kamala Harris. None of it complimentary. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I mean, we're talking about people who have fled great harm. They've fled great harm. And they are coming here seeking refuge. And talk about political theater. I mean, playing games with people's lives, with their lives. 
You know, there were mothers with sleeping babies getting off those buses. Um, I, I can't believe how clueless this vice president is. The lack of self-awareness, and she also talked about earlier in the show, I played it, uh, that leaders, leaders take responsibility. you got to act. You don't just throw these migrants into somebody else's lap as if she is not the border czar in charge of the root causes. She is part of the reason this thing is totally out of control. Let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He's the American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director uh, and author of uh, Victory or Death, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. And I got to tell you, listening to that interview and watching it as well, you just got to ask, do you really think that the American people will believe you and buy into that? You're right. You're the border czar. You're supposed to be the leader that's in charge. You've abdicated your leadership and duty responsibilities, but they go on these shows like Seth Meyers, these late night shows that give them a welcoming audience. But, you know, she's talking about what Governor Abbott is doing. But remember that the mayor of El Paso, who is a Democrat mayor, has sent more buses out of El Paso to New York and Chicago than actually what Governor Abbott has done. And furthermore, we have seen the Biden administration. They've been flying people and busing people all over the United States of America for, what, a year and a half now? How, how no much would you have state? loved to have? I would have paid uh, X amount of money. Do you, Seth Meyers, say exactly what you just said? Well, that may be true. Governor Abbott's doing half what the Democratic mayor's doing. And isn't it true, Ms. Vice President, that your administration is flying people into uh, into Newburgh Airport, into Westchester Airport in New York, mm-hmm. and to ups into Montgomery County without even yeah, giving the heads up to local officials? Absolutely. You know, they've been flying them into, uh, into Tennessee. They've been flying them into Florida. So the thing is that you've got to ask yourself, do you think that we're so stupid we don't know what you've been doing? Do you think that we're so stupid that we don't realize that you all, this is a result of your policies? You know, when you look at the fentanyl crisis in the United States of America, in the Biden administration years, we have lost more Americans to fentanyl than the deaths in the Korean and Vietnam wars combined. And and so how can she with a straight face go on and say this? And so I think that once again, they're just causing their own demise. And in less than a month, you're going to see the American people respond to this. You know, to put it this way, I would give the Democrats so much credit if a year ago they were saying, I'm really, for example, Senator Mark Kelly uh, just come out and goes, I'm outraged as a military veteran who fought to secure our country and, and to risk his life to go into space. I, I don't care if I'm a Democrat. This is outrageous what's happening in Arizona. It's outrageous for that mayor to stand up like Henry Cuellar does and make it a big deal and say this outrageous is what's happening here. Now you have these candidates like Tim Ryan talking about how bad the border is. I'm not buying it, and it's not it, – to me – You've eliminated yourself because you waited for the election to start. For example, listen to this woman, Katie Hobbs, on Face the Nation, Mm -hmm. the Democratic Mm -hmm. gubernatorial candidate in a dead heat with Kari Lake. Cut 17. As a border state, we have borne the brunt of decades of inaction in Washington from both parties to address both border security and comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, and uh, and we need the federal government to step up. Trump centered his whole immigration policy around finishing the wall, and it's not done. And um, But Biden does need to step up immigration and border security, absolutely. Uh, Arizona is bearing the brunt of of. Um, illegal drug trafficking, gun trafficking, and smuggling. Uh, and we do need more border security. 
So, yeah, Trump couldn't finish the wall. Why is the he couldn't he finish the wall? He had to repurpose defense funds because yeah. they wouldn't give him money for the wall. He can't build it himself. And to think that she prefers this policy to Trump's policy of the border is is folly. Well, it's interesting. You know, I'm at the airport here in Dallas getting ready to head to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, to, to kind of help uh, Carrie Lake and also Blake Masters out. Uh, with with their races and, and talk about these issues. And how funny that now all of a sudden we hear these Democrats who said that their number one issue was going to be the Roe v. Wade decision. Now all of a sudden their number one issue is the border because I, I guess they've been looking at the polls. And so I'm just waiting for the Democrats now to come out and say that we want more police officers. We You know, crime is a big issue and we've got to cut back on crime, which I doubt they will. But the bail reform laws, the releasing of prisoners out into the streets – and this open border policy, the drug, the sex, the human trafficking crisis that's created, they're late to the party. Uh, and I don't think that the American people are going to believe them or what they say. They know that this is just political rhetoric. I hope so, uh, because it's so serious. I mean, we could debate Social Security and Obamacare, and it does affect everyone. But, you know, we can maneuver around it. Like, what choice? To, but this, when you talk about our security, I'm seeing this video this morning, Colonel. And I'm seeing yeah. thousands of lined up. They're young men. And they might be great people. They might be the worst people. And the one guy goes to Griff Jenkins and says, I'm from Sri Lanka. Why are you here? Because I wanted to come here. He, yeah. he prefer our country over his. Oh, really? Isn't that nice? You know, we can't. Yeah. Can I go to the Netherlands right now? Nope. I hear it's beautiful. Nope. I can't go to Australia. They would laugh at me. I can't go to New Zealand. And that just undermines Vice President Harris's, you know, comment about these people coming here because they're persecuted. They're coming here because the border is wide open, and they know that when they get here, they're going to get free, you know, cell phones and all of this. They're going to get all kind of government assistance. But what is really disturbing to me, as we're a month away from Veterans Day, is that we got veterans in the United States of America that are homeless. We got veterans that are out of work. We got veterans that are taking their lives. It is not 20 to 22 per day on average. We're talking about the numbers up to 37. But yet we are opening the doors and allowing people to no, stay in hotels and, and things of this nature. And we're putting our veterans out on the street, those people that, you know, were willing to put their lives on the line for this country. This is disgusting. You mean the ones who are kicking out because they won't get vaccinated? Uh, Absolutely. You mean the exact same ones. Yeah, the 20,000? The president said. The president said the pandemic is over. Right. So why do we still have this absurdity? And, and by the way, you get vaccinated. You live this. You don't have a question because you said, okay, generations before got the same vaccines that you got. Well, they come up with a vaccine in the middle of a pandemic and you go, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'll take the risk. And they go, no, no. When you're in the military, you got to do whatever we say. Excuse me. This is a brand new vaccine. I got some religious problems. I might have I might be allergic to it physically. I'm going to willing to take the risk. The pandemic's over. I'm not going to. No, you're out then. Really? You can't recruit and you're kicking yeah. out 20,000 that we can't that we've already even on, on a callous note. We've invested in you. We've paid for you. We've trained you. And now we're kick, Well, how is it in our interest to kick you out? So it, it, you're, that's a great point. Would you mention about because as I was coming into work today. The security now meets us at the, this is how crazy it is. I've been doing this for 25 years. They meet us at the curb. Because when I get dropped off in the morning, I get on the train on the way home, but I get dropped off in the morning uh, and they meet you at the curb because they're worried about the 60, uh, the 50 yard walk to the door. 
And she he said, yeah. look, he goes, look, look down the block. I go, what? He goes, so that's a pack of four. He goes, look over there. I go, that's a pack of four. They're all illegal immigrants. They just got brought in here. They have nowhere to go. They're just walking around. So you give a bunch of young men and women nothing to do, no money, one mm-hmm. set of clothes, and give them a hotel. Tell me how that's not a combustible mix. It's an incredibly combustible mix, and look at what just happened out in Las Vegas where you had a Guatemalan illegal immigrant that went on a stabbing spree, stabbed seven people on the strip there, and two of them uh, lost their lives. And so, again, the, the Biden body bags are stacking up, being that the loss of life to fentanyl, the loss of life because of the crime and, and the, uh, the gang violence, the loss of life of people trying to illegally come into the, uh, the country and losing their lives in the Rio Grande or be, losing their lives because they, they don't have the physical stamina to make this incredible journey. And, and so, again, you want to talk about humanitarian crisis. Kamala Harris, you all created this humanitarian crisis. You all have created this incredible loss of life in just not even two years of you being in office. And so this is a critical issue, I think, along with the crime issue, along with the uh, the economic issues, along with the energy issues. Everything that this administration touches, it just falls apart. So I want to talk about war because you're 30 years in the military. Mm-hmm. Oliver North spoke last night. I know there's a lot of Republicans who want nothing to do with this. I see uh, I see World War II all over again, deciding that Hitler's not our problem. I looked at Vladimir Putin the same exact way, and he's also detached from reality like Hitler was. This guy has a – Hitler had a vision. Putin has a vision. His vision is folly to us and comical, and you say not practical, but he took Georgia and stayed. He took Crimea and kept it, and now he wants the rest of Ukraine. He's getting his ass kicked, so he decides 80 to shoot off 84 rockets into various – infrastructure and 11 urban centers. Here's what Oliver North says that he's decided, and we all know, and it's been nine months, we still have not given Ukraine what they need. Cut cut 33. So here's what Zelensky needs, and he's not getting from the Americans. They need the ability to knock down Russian rockets and missiles, even though the number Mm -hmm. that's available to Putin right now is considerably reduced because of all that he's been doing against civilians ever since the 24th of February. People are talking about the U.S. providing anti-missile defenses, like the U.S. Patriot anti-missile defense system or the Israeli Iron Dome defenses. Now, you remember, U.S. deployed Patriot batteries with U.S. troops to Saudi Arabia when their cities and refineries were under attack from Iranian-supported rebels in Yemen. Not likely going to happen here. That's a great point. I forgot about that. What what is your reaction? Because, listen, a a lot of conservatives like you who are very conservative, just say, I don't want anything to do with this. J.D. Vance says, I don't care about the Ukraine. I'm not, I don't hate J.D. Vance. I just think he's wrong. So, Colonel, where do you stand on this? I see this from a strategic perspective, and you are absolutely right going back and thinking about uh, Adolf Hitler and you know going into the Sudetenland, going in and, and overrunning Poland with the Blitzkrieg War, and of course Neville Chamberlain back in 1939 or so saying that you know I have this you know signed agreement from Herr Hitler that there will be peace in our time. I don't want to see us be naive like that once again. And the, you know instead of sending 
you know, barrels of money over there. I think we need to have a forensic audit of this $40 billion. Yes. You send them the manned portable air defense systems, the, the man pass. You give them the, the MIGs that they, they said because it's so important for them to be able to control their own airspace. And then you get make sure that they have the, the long-range artillery that gives them uh, range parity. And so I know that we sent these HIMARS systems, the high-mobility artillery rocket systems, but did we send them, you know, a fully functional system? Did we send them the rockets to be able to use that? Because that gives them the ability to strike back at this Russian artillery inside of Ukraine that is bombing and shelling their cities indiscriminately. These are war crimes. And I think the other thing that Joe Biden should be talking about, uh, the United Nations need to kick Russia out of the United Nations Security Council. Can't. Why call for a meeting? I know, but China's Council? there. China's not going to allow that. And, and if China wants to side with Russia, then Joe Biden should say you kick China out, too. Or else the United States is walking away from the United Nations, and the United States is not going to be funding the United Nations. We're tired of seeing the United Nations criticize Israel and the United States 99.9% of the time. But yet when you see the indiscriminate targeting of innocent civilians like what just happened yesterday in Ukraine, and you're not saying anything about it, you're not holding anyone responsible, we don't want to be a part of this body politic anymore. Uh, NATO did speak out to their credit, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, where this goes because everywhere you look, Vladimir Putin has failed. He's lost between sixty and mm-hmm. 80,000 troops. He's had hundreds of thousands leave his country rather than fight for his country. He has mm-hmm. even has been criti- he has critics on the inside now, and to the people on his right, he sent those 84 rockets, 41, 43 of which were knocked down. Uh, it killed uh, 19 and wounded 97. So that's what they want. They understand that he does not have a bottomless pit of rockets and he had to buy him from North, him from North Korea. So and he's losing his battle. What it must be like for him, Colonel, to know that his soldiers lose to the Ukrainians a war that he started. They can't be they cannot be stopped. His best hope to stop them is winter. Yes. And what you just talked about is so important. The people in Russia now realize that they're losing as well, and they're not willing to, you know, offer themselves up into this cauldron that, uh, you know, will send them down to, to get killed. So now is a critical and important time to isolate Vladimir Putin because he has unrest within his country. We can isolate him and cut him off from any type of economic and military support. And those are the type of things that Joe Biden should be doing instead of going to Democrat fundraisers and having this uh, diarrhea of the mouth talking about nuclear Armageddon. It's so irresponsible. And for a guy that was chairman of foreign relations, knowing that there's no intelligence to show they're moving any of the nuclear arsenal or a tactical nuke, uh, out of uh, wherever they keep them, and knowing that tactical nukes wouldn't help them in these battlefields, most commanders say that wouldn't even help, uh, and it would blow back in our own face. So uh, for him just to throw that out, to act tough in front of Democrats while walking past reporters is uh, is absolutely irresponsible. Colonel, thanks so much. Good luck on your trip to Arizona. Thanks so much, Brian. You go get them and take care, brother. All right, one 408 7669 A lot to discuss. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. 
If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, then I invite you to join me. Tulsi Gabbard's gone from the Democrats. She didn't say she's a Republican, but gone. To tell you the truth, I mean, even when she was running for president, she was the only one who made sense on the stage. And um, I, I like her. I've got a chance to meet her. The first time I met her was at the Washington Correspondents' Dinner, and Barack Obama was president. And we got the worst seat in the house, way in the back. Uh, and I'm at this table way in the back where normally it would be a walkway. And they put me next to Tulsi Gabbard. I didn't know who she was. She goes, hi, I'm Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard. And she was so fun to talk to. And I'm thinking to myself, why did she get such a bad seat? And the main reason is, is because she had no problem taking on the administration. And she also took on uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz when she was running the place, took on Hillary Clinton when she thought she was wrong. And basically they kicked her out of leadership, almost like Liz Cheney was kicked out. Only she just held to her values. She wasn't militant about it and ran for president. She runs for president and took apart Kamala Harris. At one point, Eric, maybe we could show that uh, this will let you you hear it this week. But that was the first time that I remember her exposed because Harris, remember, she had a very strong speech to start out her candidacy. And even President Trump at the time said, wow, that was, that was pretty good. You know, sitting senator, young, uh, who is also an attorney general, legal background. Well, you know, it's going to be tough. And then all of a sudden she sat for an interview and she didn't know anything on any issues and was taken apart by Tulsi Gabbard. So she is now an independent, I guess. But for the most part. She is very anti-interventionist, very anti-war, who fought in the military, big surfer from Hawaii who resigned her position. I'm very curious to see what she'll do next. But I know if a Republican wins the presidency, that'll be one of the first calls he or she makes because she's someone who's into service, has got unique experience, and will not be uh, put into a political box. I hope to have her back here. I'm sure she's going to do Tucker tonight. Or, or Sean tonight, and then we'll maybe have her back here. We'll discuss where we're going. Maybe there's other Democrats that want to bail out. Tim Ryan certainly sounds like he wants to bail out until after the election. From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Tim Stewart standing by, president of U.S. Oil and Gas. I've been wanting for the longest time U.S. Oil and Gas to be proud of what they've done for this country and to stand up and push back against administration who likes to bully. Uh, and Varney and Company, and we'll do a simulcast. We'll take a look at the economy uh, on FBN. We'll do a simulcast. We'll share audiences. I hope you don't mind being shared. You know, just amazing Today in New York uh, City, uh, coming into work, being met at the curb and having the security say, hey, wait a second, because crime's an issue here. Uh, Fox is a target, no question. Even the NYPD knows that. And they're meeting and they said, see these people around? I'm seeing these groups of four, groups of four, groups of three walking around. All in their 20s. Some look like teens. He goes, they're all legal immigrants. They're just walking around speaking other languages. This has been happening for the last week or two, all because we've gotten between Thirteen and 17,000 illegals into New York City 
from Texas, from Arizona. Why? Because they've gotten two to three million this year because we've left our borders wide open. Uh, we'll discuss that and all that uh, and so much more. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think it's more likely than not that sometime in the next year or 18 months, uh, we will have a recession. Yeah, the Larry Summers. Treasury Secretary of President Obama. Economy warning signs are flashing from the big bankers in the business in business as inflation numbers and interest rates take their toll. We have the latest. Number two. When we first came in office, the first bill that we proposed was for a pathway for citizenship, was to fix a broken immigration system, which was broken under the previous administration. Oh, so ridiculous. Bursting at the seams in Biden administration doesn't seem to care. That's what's happening in major cities as thousands are bust, as I mentioned, into sanctuary status to cities with sanctuary status like the one I'm in. What do they find? Little housing, no jobs, no money, and nothing to do. And where's the VP who's in charge of tackling the crisis? Yucking it up with the humorless Seth Meyers. Number one. I would expect to see J.D. Vance to start to take a further lead away from Tim Ryan for a number of reasons. This debate, I have to really applaud J.D. Vance. He prepped hard and he showed up. And Tim Ryan had no excuse for his 20 years of failure. Uh, Aaron Perrine, who used to be the spokesperson for Donald Trump, Senate candidates head to head. Ohioans got their debate, uh, got their debate. J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, Wisconsin and PA. Uh, well, it might be the Democratic candidates past, which will decide their future. We'll discuss that. We have the latest strategies for both. Well, the big story last week and this week uh, is what's happening with oil and gas. OPEC plus. Sat around, said, hey, Russia, thanks for joining. I appreciate you being here. We're going to cut 2 million barrels a day of production out. Oh, how does that affect America? Prices will go up. How does America, the American oil and gas feel about this? Tim Stewart joins us now, the president of U.S. Oil and Gas. Tim, welcome back. Your thoughts about what Saudi and OPEC Plus did last week? Ryan, it's great to be with you. You know, the question we always have to ask ourselves is how did we actually get here? We got here because Joe Biden refuses to admit that he was wrong about energy policy. It requires that you're admitting you're wrong right from day one to cancel pipelines and lease sales and suspend permits and things like that. But to the to the OPEC situation, we find ourselves in this situation where in a volatile global market, world market, oil market, when you so openly courted Iran as part of your policy, which was wrong, the Saudis, who have been traditional regional allies for us, have given the administration the middle finger. And, you know, what else do you expect them to do? So Biden, Biden administration has got very few options left. they got Venezuela. they got strategic petroleum reserve. And they've got export bans. This is a mess of their own making. If he would admit he was wrong and go back and turn to the U.S. oil and gas industry to pull him out of the ditch, which he's probably going to have to do, we're ready to do that, you know? Well, what is, uh, for example, he says to you guys, well, you could be doing more. You're having all you oil companies, not you you don't run an oil company, but all the oil CEOs and executives are making millions of dollars. So your profits increase. So they think that you've been labeled as greedy. What's a, what's your reaction? Well, again, it's a, a situation of uh, a crisis of his own making. Uh, the, you know, obviously, uh, the run-up to, to the, the, the Russian invasion that incredible inflationary run-up, which was driven in part by energy prices, which was driven in part by very bad policy, uh, we've, that's where we find ourselves right now. Again, you and I have talked about this a lot. The, the, the situation is, is it is a lack of investment that has got us in this situation. It is a lack of, of, of you know, 
looking further out to seeing what is within the realm of the feasible just within the U.S. industry and the U.S. asset itself, and they have set that aside. And so, again, I, I, we, we, from the industry's perspective, Brian, we want to be able to, to have the American consumers in a position where they don't have to think about what, how much it costs to fill up their car. That's the bottom line. And we can't get there until the administration actually clears out the way and lets us do what we need to do. Here's what Brian uh, D. said about OPEC Plus's decision. The OPEC decision, uh, the reason why we were disappointed in it is we believe it's unnecessary and unwarranted at a period where if you look at the global energy picture and the oil picture, the uh, lack of supply continues to be uh, a significant uh, challenge. And the lack of supply is because we decided to slow down here. By how much are we off from the last Trump year of 2020? You know, there's this great study that came out by Stephen Moore a week or two ago. I, I encourage you to take a look at it. But uh, I, that actually gave some really interesting projections of where we could be right now had we not shifted gears. Brian, we're, we're off about a million and a half barrels a day from where we, are, uh, where we were in pink, the peak Trump years. Uh, and to Trump's credit, you know, he helped position the industry to a place where we could have been at 15 million barrels a day in production, and none of this would be an issue. But obviously, as you and I both have talked about, day one on the Biden administration, that all came to a grinding halt. And we're still trying to get ourselves back to where we were. We're Again, we're about about a million barrels off of where we really could be right now. Unbelievable, and you could be a million and a half up. So uh, a couple of things. I hear they might even, not only are they not going to look to up the drilling right now and make it easier to to get leases, but they're also considering an offshore drilling ban. Yeah, that was part of the the five year plan that they were they were a year late in getting out. Now the Inflation Reduction Act forces them to actually re- requires them to do lease sales both onshore and offshore, which they're going to reluctantly do. But there's a big difference between holding a lease sale and actually moving forward on the permitting process. And so while the administration may say, all right, you've told us to, we'll do some lease sales, doesn't mean we actually have to move quickly to, to process the permits to, and get the infrastructure in place to actually get the, the production going. So there, I imagine they're still going to slow walk. I think we're probably going to be down two-thirds of what the Trump administration was proposing offshore. Two-thirds. Why are we going to the Persian Gulf when we could go to the Gulf of Mexico? That's what irritates so many of us on this thing. Right, and you guys do it more responsibly with more conditions than anybody else. So Venezuela, they don't have an infrastructure to handle it. So we got to build up their – Chevron has to build up their infrastructure in order to start uh, exporting or drilling. Same thing with, I understand, when it comes to shell and offshore drilling. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You know, in Venezuela, original member of OPEC – you know, when OPEC gives you the finger last week, why do you turn right around and go to one of the members of OPEC and say, hey, let's let's do a deal together? The other thing is, look, uh, Putin and Maduro, they're linked at the hip. Anytime a country is sanctioned by the U.S., who moves in? Well, it's the Russian and the Chinese who move in first to, to skirt those sanctions. And so I, I think as you dig into this, you're going to be, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how what is the influence of the Russian and Chinese in the current state-owned petrol company right now. And frankly – you you may be able to get Chevron to do what it needs to do because they've had legacy assets dating back there almost 100 years. But the reality is it's helping Venezuela in a roundabout way is still helping Russia and China. And that just is nonsensical, I think. So here's their press secretary, the administration's press secretary, talking about this is an opportunity for, guess what, a transition to go green. Listen. 
Today's announcement is a reminder of why it is so critical that United States reduce its reliance on foreign sources of fossil, uh, fossil fuels. With the Inflation Reduction Act, we are making a historic investment in accelerating the energy, uh, the energy, uh, tr- the, the transition to clean energy. Are we? Are we accelerating the tradition of clean energy? Well, you know, uh, we're throwing seven hundred million or seven hundred billion dollars uh, in subsidies towards that transition. My response to that is that's great. Sixty-three percent of every, of every electric vehicle is being charged today is being charged using fossil fuels, natural gas, and coal, and so. Uh, you're going to need us for a long, long time even after. So and if you want to get batteries, don't you need cobalt and lithium? Absolutely. Where do we get that? Sig- well, you get it from from uh, foreign sources, and unfortunately China controls almost 90% of that global market and that processing market. And so you just, again, it's a, it is a, a long, long stretch and a long, long transition. And we keep reminding the administration, they don't listen to us, but you, they will need us for, a, for the long, long haul. We're 20 or 30 years out from that full-on transition. And, and, Tim, and Tim Stewart, if you want to get solar panels, we're going to China. And guess, where, China. guess who's making most of the solar panels? The Uyghurs, who are basically slave labor. They've been enslaved. They've been captured, right. head-shaved, and re-education camps. And during the day, they make solar panels. How, is that, well, how, is that, how does that work with the American uh, human rights uh, uh, ethics and values. Well, it, it, it's completely contrary to the American ideal, you know, and that that's the that's again nonsensical, illiterate is the way we have to describe this. It is illiterate, an illiterate energy policy, Brian. And I wish you know the Americans would pay far more attention to what's going on because we're being sold a bill of goods uh, the, to, to essentially turn global markets over to what our capacity are, our capacity is. And again, it's to, uh, to going back to the oil and gas situation. What is wrong with using American workers and American companies and American resource? Why are we going to the Persian Gulf when we should be really focusing on the Gulf of Mexico? It's that simple. We can do this. Uh, major investment companies have been told to divest themselves from fossil fuel. Uh, have you guys felt that in your business? Absolutely. You know, that's, we started feeling that way back in January of, of last year when it was a really, really slow walk. I, I have friends who are in the private equity uh, business trying to raise money for oil and gas projects. And what normally would have been a, a 20 or 30 uh, pit, a point pitch, is it took them 300 different presentations to raise the money they needed. It was, it was they're putting the squeeze on us. But I do think also, if you look at the market conditions now, Brian, there's nothing quite like a, uh, having the markets be down 30% with the exception for that one sector of, of energy, particularly oil and gas, to, to wake people up of that it's a good investment and it's a fool's errand to bet against us. And right now that's true. Uh, and when you look at oil and gas right now, the president, the administration was saying, look at how we've gotten that down. But we've also done that by depleting the strategic oil reserve. How dangerous is this, this for Americans? I think we're down to a 40-year low. I mean, holy crap, it is incredibly dangerous. You know, the, and it, the, thing, the other thing it has done, it has not only depleted the reserve, but it's so grossly distorted the market conditions. It's one thing to do a release for two or three weeks to get through hurricane season where refineries have shut down. But to do it every day at a million barrels a day for six months, you have at this point distorted the market. And to be can you, able to pull can you that explain off, to what that means? Well, so, yeah, I mean, the, the amount of oil that we're releasing, a million barrels a day, is the equivalent of one of the mid-sized OPEC countries. We're releasing more oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve than we are producing in Alaska by a factor of two. 
And so we're actually acting, we're, we're dumping market, uh, dumping oil into the market at, at a U.S. producer's size that's somewhere between Exxon and Conoco. And there's nothing coming in. It's not new production. It's just moving it out. And so there's, we're really seeing, you know, fairly significant market distortions because there's a supply on the, on the, uh, in the market that could expire at any given time. And this is, uh, in my view, a ploy for the election. Uh, still, it has not stopped gas prices from going up. Last year at this time was three dollars and twenty-seven cents. Last month it was three seventy-one. Yesterday it was three ninety-one. Today it's three ninety-two. Diesel is at five twelve. Uh, last year was three dollars and forty-six cents. We know the ripple effects to that affects everything in our supermarkets, our shelves, the shirts we buy, the food we eat. So, can you give us an idea, Tim Stewart, as I talk to you as president of U.S. Oil and Gas? Where do you think this is heading in a month, two months, three months? Well, with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, eventually you're going to run out of product that you can put back into the market that the refiners can take. You know, because right now the U.S. refining capacity focuses on a particular type of crude. And when that's gone, then then what do we do? We have to figure out where we get it from. Uh, unfortunately, Brian, I wish I could give you good news and say, yeah, prices are going to come down. Uh, I just happen to think that, unfortunately, due to, again, mismanagement the, and the global situation, um, we're going to see high prices for the, you know, for the foreseeable future until we're able to be, have things cleared out. And um, uh, I, w- I wish I could give you better news, but I'm not real optimistic right now that we're going to drop down to where we were in the in the fat years of the Trump of the Trump administration when we weren't making. Last question for you, about. Tim. You told me last time refinery capacity is key, and most people agree on that. Is it true that we have refineries in Virgin Islands that we could put online or back online? Yeah, and frankly, you know, it's not just the Virgin Islands, but it's California and it's other places where we, we have the uh, opportunity to expand refining capacity, but we've got to get the government to clear its way out and to give the refiners greater flexibility on the type of blends that they're making. Tim Stewart, I uh, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, I want to see you guys push back uh, because the way you're being bullied by politicians and nothing about your business, I find sickening. Well, I appreciate it. And follow us on Twitter because that's where we push back. It makes the liberals cry, and we enjoy it. Go get them, Tim. one 408 Bottom of the hour, uh, we'll still take your calls for two blocks, and then we're going to do a simulcast with Varney and company. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you ask voters today, most Americans will say that we, they are currently in a recession. They feel as though they are in a recession, and that's because inflation has cut their standard of living by a dramatic extent. And inflation is the issue for this midterm. The recession will be the issue for Democrats in 2024. And I think the reason that the Democrats are waking up to the fact that they're going to have a long night in four weeks is that on the issues that matter most to independent voters, the economy, crime, and the border, the Republicans have the advantage, and that will be decisive. Matt Cotton, was not saying that. He's from the Washington Free Beacon a couple of weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago. I would say either was I, but I have a different feeling right now because uh, the issues have tacked Republicans' way. Mike, listen, on KSEV in Houston. Hey, Mike. Thank you, Brian. Um, Brian, in December of 2019, I know that the state of New Mexico had a $1 billion surplus 
as a result of the uh, windfall from the oil and gas production. Forty percent of the economy in New Mexico is oil and gas. It is a very poor state. It was a great situation. I have called on the state for 20 years and nothing like that has ever occurred. A $1 billion surplus affects the quality of life of every person in New Mexico. Of course. And the fact that that evaporated because of the COVID, because of the China virus that no one seems to care about in Washington, D.C., that affects every single person as far as the quality of life in New Mexico. Equivalently, at the same time, I read an article about Pennsylvania. I'm from Youngstown, Ohio. Pennsylvania had a $917 million surplus from fracking. So right. we and know that, that that's gone. And we know it works. A lot of federal land in New Mexico, a lot of investment from Texas oilers. So it's all taken away. It's it's so frustrating, Mike. And it's, it's up to you guys to speak up and let us know it affects you. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Deliberate targeting of civilians is a war crime. By launching missile attacks on civilians, sleeping in their homes or rushing to work, children going to schools, Russia has proven once again that it is a terrorist state that must be deterred in the strongest possible ways. And I agree. And that was the Ukrainian ambassador talking about the 84 rockets sent into 10 urban centers and around Ukraine to terrorize because the Russians can't win the head to head fighting. And they just got their beloved bridge to Crimea that they stole from Ukraine blown up over the weekend. And Vladimir Putin experiencing all types of pressure from his inner circle. And that was confirmed by an intelligence source that I've had. Uh, heard directly and corroborated with another intelligence source that didn't even know the other one said it. Absolutely true. They also said uh, the Russians are in desperate straits. They've lost between 60 and 80,000. This is how little regard they have for their people. They just leave them on the battlefield. The Ukrainians have to get rid of them. And they're in so, so desperate to leave. They've picked up so many tanks and rockets from the Russians who are basically running for the hills because they have no training and they're not committed to this fight. So that's why the rockets came, and that's why they're going to be hitting probably again today. But they can't go on forever because they're running out of rockets, running out of money, and it looks like we're finally going to give them the missile defense that they need, uh, which all goes back to oil and gas prices, which began to go up uh, in Western Europe because they were so dependent on Russia, even though among things that Donald Trump did that ended up 100% correct, that many people questioned was he told Angela Merkel, why am I protecting you if you are going to continue to do deals with Russia on Nord Stream 1 and now you're doing Nord Stream 2? And you didn't even mind that they bypass Ukraine and putting the pipeline in. That's how selfish this Angela Merkel is. Whoever would thought was this great Western leader, forget it. Vicky, listen to WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Vicky. Hi, Brian. I had a question for you that... Um your last guest that was talking about the oil and gas industry, um, I'm surprised you didn't ask him if he has any predictions on when this oil and gas is going to run out, the, the reserves. Because yeah. what are uh, we going to do when that runs out? Would have been a good question. My bad. I, I could have asked that. Uh, it is a 40-year low, but I don't know where the bottom is. But, you know, there's also opportunity for American oil and gas to refill it. And if you're invested in, in Shell or Chevron, you're happy about that. 
And I'm happy doing Chevron and Shell rather than going for Luke Oil or anything else. So Yeah, but will the government allow them to refill it? I mean Well, it brings me to this email I just got from Marianne. Marianne writes, um, the caller that we just had knows what they're talking about. They said, Brett Baer the other night was talking to Kevin McCarthy and asked if they could, what would they do if Republicans win in November to stop Biden from drawing down on the strategic oil reserves? And he says, McCarthy said, well, you have to vote us in. And Marianne said, that is code for not a damn thing. Someone or something needs to change this before this idiot uh, does any more damage. Well, what you got to do is you got to have some Democrats jump ship and in the House, what you got to do is you take away something that they need in order to get something that's going to help the country. For example, if you want to get to Republicans, traditionally you cut defense. And if you want to put that money back in defense, Republicans give Democrats something, even though it's our national defense. So that's the question. How, how soon until it's all gone? And that, that's a really good question. Uh, here is uh, – in, in, in terms of the economy, I want to continue on that. There's two people that came out I thought that were significant, Jamie Dimon and Larry Summers, and talked about our economy. Now, all of you have your own decisions about the economy. If you're paycheck to paycheck and your paycheck's not going as far, if you didn't have the opportunity, if you feel like your your company's cutting back, you understand that feeling. If the promotion's out there, if travel's being cut back, if your Ubers have been cut out, then people are tightening their belt because they see what bellwether companies like Facebook are doing, then it's laying off a lot of people, and they're saying, "Uh uh-oh, if they're worried, I'm worried. Here is Larry Summers, Cut 26. I think it's more likely than not that sometime in the next year or 18 months, uh, we will have a recession. I think that's a a consequence of the excesses that the economy has uh, been through. Yeah, uh, that's uh, concerning because if you're a Republican, Democrat, if you're an American, uh, Larry Summers said that on CNN. I'm sure they tried to cut his microphone. So Jamie Dimon weighed in on CNBC, cut 25. Inflation, which obviously is you know changing the effect of those numbers I just told you about, it's rates going up more than people expected already and probably a little bit more from here. It's QT, which we've never had before. Uh, so therefore, the unknown effects, and you see it today in bond markets around the world and sovereign markets and people selling U.S. Treasury debt, and it's the war. And they're likely to put U.S. in some kind of recession six, nine months from now. Yeah, uh, we'll see how the war turns out. Absolutely. And we know that there is a great opportunity for us to get natural gas and get a great customer in Western Europe that they can count it on, and they can count on us. But there's been no movement to do that because of these green energy companies that support all these Democratic candidates that don't want to see LNG, which burns clean, transported over to Europe. They don't want to see it continue. People like Al Gore fly around, and they look like John Kerry in their private jets and Leo DiCaprio and Sean Penn and all these people fly around saying how bad it is, how we're breaking Earth. But their life isn't changed. Working class lives are changed. Your portfolio is affected. People who work in oil and gas are affected. And people in Western Europe, I mean, right now, they're burning coal. So how's that working for the green, uh, the green movement? How about not at all? Incredible. So uh, th- that's what we're looking at in terms of what's happening with uh, the economy. Gas prices are going up barely. I think a lot of you are actually making moves in your own life. Listen to this study from I was in the New York Post today uh, from a group called Smart Asset and to find out where people are going. They asked people, where are you, why are you moving? Where are you going? Top locations, losing rich, young professionals. 
Number one location is New York, 15,000. California, eight. Illinois, three. Washington, two. Massachusetts, uh, all lead off. This is where people are going because home prices, between home prices, between taxes, and between quality of life. The quality of life right now in New York in certain areas is good, but there's a fear of crime taking place here, and it's palpable, and it's in, it's in places that it normally isn't. What you saw in the last month, you've had 12 people attacked in transit, whether it's buses, whether it's subways, whether it's stations, whether it's in cars, whether it's these lunatics in green leotards just beating up two 18-year-olds on a train randomly. Thankfully, they get caught. That type of thing has such a ripple effect. Yeah, 12 out of millions. But I, I say to myself, do you want your kids going on there? Do you want to go on there? Do you want to get pushed on the tracks? And who is the people? Not professional criminals. A lot of them, these dangerous homeless people. Mark was on WABC in Staten Island. Hey, Mark. Hello. What's on your mind? Yeah, hi. Uh, all these loss of jobs in the, in the oil industry, the, the mandating uh, vaccinations, People losing their jobs over that. Where are the unions? I haven't heard the unions say anything about any of this. Yeah, I know. Why aren't they striking? You know, I, I think they're in on it. They, 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 the Democrat stooges and anything that Democrats say, they do. Well, I, I get, I guess so. But no one gets paid if they don't work, right? You just got to pay your dues. You get a dues that come out of your paycheck. Yeah, so yeah, they told you know they said, Mark. They told all those uh, men and women working oil and gas, go make solar panels, go get, go get retrained, go do something else. Think about that. Uh, you know your career? Yeah, get rid of it. I'm deciding that it's time for you to stop to start doing something else. That's what they told the pipeline workers. The oil industry should come out with, 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 with their own picketing saying when oil is expensive, everything's expensive. Everything goes up for everybody. Why don't they say that? Uh, it would be a great thing to say, and that's why a lot of uh, these union heads had problems complimenting Trump. Because they see that Trump is not doesn't care, you know, it's not anti-union. He would say he has to deal with unions all the time in New York, doesn't get anything built without it. So he understands that unions, for the most part, uh, uh, vote for the Democrat, and they do it as groups and blocks. So the most part, Republicans ignore and try to break. Plus, they, they up the cost of labor, up the cost of products, forcing a lot of manufacturing to go offshore. Bob was in WABC. Hey, Bob. Hi, Brian. Here's one. You know, you you talk about people living paycheck to paycheck. Let me tell you something. A lot of these people that make a lot of money, they're just broke at a higher level. I mean, look at what they pay for houses and their, you know, big cars these days. Or if they bought one of those EV things that burn quickly. They're just broke at a higher level. If if people don't figure out, we've got to. Well, that's what inflation does. It leaves you high uh, and you get money with this. Maybe maybe uh, wages are going up a little bit, but they don't match inflation and inflation's not going anywhere. So uh, consistently, your life is underfinanced and people think because you have a nice house, and a nice car, you can't have problems. That is wrong. And that was the that was the point Bob was making on WABC. Keep it here. When I come back, I'll do a simulcast on FBN, and then I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the back end. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Be able to ca- catch you on the back end of this. We're going to do a simulcast on FBN uh, as they get back from commercial. Talk about Kamala Harris. I didn't talk a lot about this. I played it earlier on uh, on the Tuesday show here. But uh, her appearance on Seth Meyers is such an embarrassment where she goes on yucking it up while New York is in a catastrophe crisis, state of emergency, that according to its mayor. Uh, and then Governor Hochul doing absolutely nothing. We'll discuss both those things. And what I say is doing nothing, not even responding to the Democratic senator. So let's listen in. time for Brian Kilmeade, who will miraculously appear right there. There he is. Hey, Brian, Tulsi Gabbard, Congresswoman uh, Tulsi Gabbard, announced she's leaving the Democrat Party. Watch this. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country... And I invite you to join me. Well, Brian, what did you say? What did you think when you first heard that? It doesn't really surprise me that much. I mean, when it comes to foreign policy, she wants nothing to do with Ukraine. When it comes to the green energy, it makes no sense. You, you and I have talked about this. It's not even logical. They're not even solving a problem. They're jamming an agenda down our throat in a time of a national energy crisis. It's insane. And then when you talk about other, the other issues in which they're, they're, they're pushing— uh, none of it addresses crime. None of it addresses inflation. Uh, none of it addresses uh, the economy. So to me, Tulsi Gabbard not going to the Democratic Party was more of a no longer in the Democratic Party. No longer, it's just a formality. I assume she's going to um, she's going to remain independent. I texted yeah. her to see if she would. Yeah. Uh, she's thinking about the Republican Party. I'm not sure, but I know that if Donald Trump had been with a second term, I know he talked very highly of her. I think mm-hmm. any Republican that wants to reach across the aisle would be smart to reach for her because yeah. she's America first. I mean, she's a veteran. Uh, yep. She understands. She's a good surfer, which I think should be a prerequisite. Uh, that means Griff Jenkins would be available. But uh, Tulsi Gabbard, I think, is more of an independent uh, thinker anyway. Remember, the thing that made her so special when she stood out is when she stood on that debate stage and blew up Kamala Harris by just playing yes. her background back to exactly. her and pointing yeah. out what a phony she was. I remember it well. Who could forget that one? Next case, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, openly ignored a question about the migrant crisis. Watch this one. Why not move migrants upstate, as Senator Gillibrand has suggested? Uh, Not much of a response. Why won't she help New York City with the migrants? She's running out the clock, number one. Number two, no, she knows it's a big loser issue. Sanctuary city, huge mistake. Put it in her face, huge mistake. Accept all immigrants. How do we deal with it? Uh, put them in hotels, put them in cruise ships, make tent cities. All bad, bad, bad. Let Adams pay the price for that. After all, he's got three more years for people to forget about it. She wants to run away from it. She doesn't want to debate. She wants to debate once on New York One where nobody watches. No offense, but there's other people in New York State that can't get New York One like Long Island and upstate New York. And number two is she doesn't want to address any issues. She wants to go to meet with donors, give them sweetheart contracts like the one she did for that rapid 
uh, for the rapid test of $637 million. And she had a fundraiser four days before with the CEO. So Senator Gillibrand, a Democrat, said, take some of the illegal immigrants, bring them upstate, and get some of the pork barrel spending we'll be suddenly eligible for. She will not answer a Democratic senator. That's how useless and over her head she is. Brian, we've got a shot at electing a Republican on a statewide vote in New York State. I think that's a possibility here. Brian, I'm sorry, I'm out of time. Got to leave you, but I'll get back to you shortly. Go get I him. want to turn to the crime. All right, a quick announcement. Uh, so, so that, I mean, those things I'm obviously uh, pretty passionate about. And Lee Zeldin, I think, is a great candidate. Uh, he's got he's uh, somebody willing to work with Democrats. He understands it because he's working in a purple area in a blue state. Uh, got a job in Suffolk. Every election was tough. And then he has to work in a blue state every single day. And he worked in the state house, too. So he understands it. And he also makes it clear he wants to work with Mayor Adams if he was able to become governor. If you believe the Trafalgar poll, he's two points from Hochul, who is literally just starting to run out the clock. What do I mean by that? She doesn't want any waves, doesn't want any debates, doesn't want to make any big decision, doesn't want to have any bold proclamations, doesn't want to prevent any vision. Because if she just is able to keep that lead, get that four years— You watch. In come the restrictions again, the crackdowns. Should there be a surge? All the Democrats want everybody to forget the crackdowns, the bannings, the firings, the school closures, all them. After the initial shutdown, all them. And they want to forget that. If you give her four more years and there's any type of tick up or a surge, look out. Be impossible to stop. So, uh... The President of Freedom Fighter, you were kind enough to keep it a best sell list for 10 weeks. The paperback's coming out next week, and you can get it at BrianKillMe.com, new uh, afterward, I think you'll like. So I'm able to go on stage and talk about all my books, A True Red, White, and Blue Night. And a couple of dates have already been set. Brantford, Mississippi, I'll be there November 12th. So all you listeners, BrianKillMe.com, join me there. Have a chance to interact with you before via the VIP session. November 13th, KRMMG uh, listeners, hopefully you're hearing uh, that I'm going to be back in town. Love visiting over in Tulsa, going to Oklahoma City the next day. But Tulsa on the 13th, that's Sunday. And then on December 2nd, I'll be at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, New Jersey. There'll be Fox Surprises there. It'll be a great night. I know you're hearing a lot about 1619, boxing up Columbus statues, getting rid of Andrew Jackson, trying to find a way to get rid of the freedom uh, statue that was uh, dedicated by Frederick Douglass for Abraham Lincoln in his honor 10 years after his death. You're hearing about the moving of Teddy Roosevelt's statue, the taking down a Confederate statue. I'm 1776, not 1619. So I'll talk about an honest look at our history uh, from Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, to Washington's Secret Six, to Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, and now the President of Freedom Fighter. I don't duck our past from segregation to slavery. Those were horrible, but the good news is we got out of it, we grew from it, and we're better than ever. And that's my message, so hope to see you on stage with that. And you go to BrianKillMe.com, you get an autograph uh, copy of the paperback uh, sent to your house for the holidays. Brian Kilme, thanks for listening. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone's Brian Kilmeade from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Thanks so much for listening. Dennis Prager at the bottom of the hour. You know Dennis, founder of uh, Prager U. He's also a New York Times bestseller. Brand new book out, The Rational Bible. Uh, he'll be here to discuss that in a rational way. John Levine is also here, New York Post writer. You've seen him all over the channel, and you read his columns, of course. And before we get to John, uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think it's more likely than not that sometime in the next year or 18 months, uh, we will have a recession. Okay, that's Larry Summers. Economy warning signs are flashing from big bankers in business. As inflation numbers and interest rates take their toll, we have the latest. Number two. When we first came in office, the first bill that we proposed was for a pathway for citizenship, was to fix a broken immigration system, which was broken under the previous administration. Why does she keep saying that? Bursting at the seams, Biden administration doesn't seem to care. That's what's happening in major cities as thousands are bused for sanctuary status to sanctuary cities. What do they find? Little housing, no jobs, no money, and nothing to do. And where is the VP who's in charge of tackling this crisis? Yucking it up with the humorless Seth Myers. Number one. I would expect to see J.D. Vance to start to take a further lead away from Tim Ryan for a number of reasons. This debate, I have to really applaud J.D. Vance. He prepped hard and he showed up. And Tim Ryan had no excuse for his 20 years of failure. Aaron Perini, a former spokesperson for the Trump administration, Senate candidates head-to-head. Ohioans got their debate between J.D. Vance and Tim Ryan, while in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, it might be the Democratic candidate's past which decides their future. We have the latest strategies and explain with 28 days to go. John, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. So you're not only writing about Hunter, you're writing about what's going on with this with this uh, this election. I'm everywhere. Yeah. I have no jurisdiction. You have no jurisdiction? I'm like Batman. Are you allowed to sleep? I mean, are you allowed? I'm I allowed mean, to. But would you get I don't up, have time for that. You have a things to do list, which is wide open. Yeah. There's nothing to check because everything's on the table. Everything's on the table. Okay, good. I did not know that. Uh, very interesting. So do you get paid to cover everything? Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> All right, good. So, so, John, a couple of things. If you look at the debate last night, J.D. Vance uh, against Tim Ryan, Tim Ryan's problem is he's voted 100% of the time with Joe Biden. And fundamentally, if you want to be a moderate who takes on the Democratic Party, you had to have shown it before you showed up last night. And I think Vance did very well, like an Ivy League grad from Rural Beginnings who's a best-selling author. That's pretty much how he showed right. up. Yeah, there's lot, there were lots of questions about Vance and what the debate performance might look like because he's obviously not a professional politician. But, you know, the, the, the reviews so far are very, very good for him. I know I saw a lot of really good, like, knockout moments, particularly with the immigration and abortion stuff, that, um, you know, I, uh, Ryan really was kind of flat-footed. And it, he, Vance certainly showed that he's capable of going toe-to-toe against a professional politician. You know, and Ohio is obviously a red state. It was once a purple state, but it's been increasingly red over the last 10 years. And- DeWine's up by 20. Right. For governor. Um, here, here's a little of the exchange. Cut four. They borrowed and spent trillions of dollars that we just don't have, and that's thrown fuel on the flyer, fire of the inflation problem. And at the same time, they've completely gone to war against America's energy sector. And you can't do both of those things at the same time. They're each bad ideas. But when you do both of them at the same time, you're going to get record inflation, which is exactly what you expect to get. Do you think President Biden is to blame for the inflation crisis? Well, I think everybody's to blame. I mean, we're coming out of a pandemic. It's a problem. The question is... We're going to sit around for another 10 years and point fingers, 
What I've been proposing is a significant tax cut for working people and small businesses. Put money in people's pockets. Uh, yeah, uh, not going to fly. I mean, basically, you looked at a situation where inflation was at 1.8% under Trump. It's now almost 9%. So how can you blame both? Right. That That's going to be the biggest drag on the Democratic Party this year is we have historic inflation. It's 40-year high. There's there's no there's no getting around that. There's no spinning that. It's like it was, as you say, less than 2% under Trump. Now it's approaching 9 No, Very few Americans have seen this. You have to go back to the 1970s to to really remember a time when it was this bad. And that was when we had gas lines. And we saw the 1980 election where Reagan just put away Carter and won, you know, I don't know, almost more than 400 electoral votes. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's look at this, too. The other big state uh, outside of Ohio. I believe that uh, J.D. Vance is going to win this. I agree. Right. Uh, I mean, he's a little bit. I mean, basically where he stands as a conservative, he's not anti-Trump. And you don't have to disavow Trump. It's not Pennsylvania. This is a place where Trump won by eight, okay? The other big story is John Fetterman. You're watching a cratering candidacy. Now the New Yorker has to cover the problem with John Fetterman's candidacy. The problem is a couple of things. He's Bernie Sanders in a hoodie. Right. right, and he's not healthy, and he can't uh, he can't do more than seven minute rallies. Right. Every time you see clips of Fetterman online, it's him garbling his words and sort of reversing the order of things. And you know, obviously, he just had a stroke. That's going to be front and center of voters' minds. There's a there's a debate there on October 25th. It's late, and it's late. There's going to be a lot of early voting, but you know, game day voting is still important. If but, he right. screws up that debate and doesn't, you know, you know, get over the finish line, then I think Oz has a chance to win that. But, too. John, a couple of things. By the time they get the question out, he watches it print out because he can't understand right away. It is really only going to get like seven questions in in an hour because then Oz responds and Oz takes the lead and he's got to get Oz's translator for him. How can you do this job? It's going to be up to Oz to to do the debate in a way that highlights these vulnerabilities that Fetterman has. So you got to ask the people of Pennsylvania – who outside Philadelphia don't tend to be very liberal, if they want a senator that is very liberal, said this from 2018 when it comes to law and order. There's a real opportunity to build a statewide platform that elevates and exposes the damage created by school-to-prison pipeline, the prison industrial complex, and tough-on-crime policies like stop and frisk and, and cash bail. Uh, restorative justice to me is just common sense. I base my approach on a law enforcement policy on restorative justice practices of Mayor Braddock. We train our police for, for we we've trained our police force to show discretion. Just because you can change charge someone with a nonviolent crime doesn't mean that you have to charge somebody. He goes over and over again. He also wants to defund ICE, as does uh, Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. So all this. 2018 talk of law enforcement, criminal uh, criminal justice reform is not in vogue in 2022. Right. No, exactly. And I think that's a broader national trend among Democrats is a lot of them, you know, went over their skis on defund the police and, and let all the criminals out of jail in 2020 and the aftermath of the George Floyd protests. And now that we're kind of back to reality again. Um, a lot of them are trying to run away from past statements, and you're seeing a lot of websites, the language being updated or scrubbed entirely of past positions, and Republicans are doing their best to remind voters. Right. I think that that's true. Also, the fact that as lieutenant governor, you barely showed up. I mean, he's known as lazy anyway, didn't have a job until he's 41. Yeah. Then His, his parents supported him until he was like 50. Right. So, <laughs> so he doesn't show up as lieutenant governor to preside over the state senate. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he has the advantage given that Pennsylvania is, I would say, purple to blue generally. I know Trump won it, but generally it it leans more blue, <clears throat> and he's been leading in the polls there. And I will say on Fetterman's behalf, he's got a great look in some ways. He looks – he's not like a suit and tie guy. He he really can go into blue-collar areas and I think has a, a look that will appeal to people. And that's what got him this far. Right. And so that's – these are all things that are going to be in his advantage. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll see. Bernie Sanders comes out with a statement that is so on the money, he, and I rarely say that. He calls on Democrats to do more than talk about women's rights. He says, in my view, while abortion issue must remain in the uh, front burner – is political malpractice for Democrats to ignore the state of the economy and all Republicans' lies and distortions to go unanswered. So it's true. All they're talking about is that and Trump. And now Trump has been smart, staying out of it, does a rally, couple yeah. of things says his controversial, moves. Investigation's calm. He's letting his candidate speak, and now he's actually using a super PAC to support. yeah. yeah. Yeah, Trump's money. When Trump's just sends the money, that's, I think, what most people want. Send us the money, but you stay home. You have a couple of columns that I think discuss this. First <laughs> off, uh, as our WABC listeners and RCN listeners will appreciate, you talk about Governor Hochul. Many people don't know anything about her. Why? She doesn't do anything except for go to fundraisers and give favors to a lot right. of big donors. Uh, you're seeing that she could be somewhat vulnerable? Well, look, you know, if we're if we're, if we're in – a red wave type election nationally, it's going to lift candidates across the country. And that would potentially possibly even put her in danger. And this is one of the bluest states in the country. Hochul's still the odds on favorite to win. But there are a lot of places in New York. I'm thinking upstate. I'm thinking Long Island where she's definitely not going to win those areas. Staten Island, she won't touch. Certainly not. And and Democratic politicians in those areas have very – I've noticed, and it's been – and I've written about it, have been distancing themselves from her in various ways because they know she's she's underwater in their districts. What they she, have close elections. She doesn't talk about crime, and with this whole immigration drop-off, it's Abbott <clears throat> against a mayor. It is not governor against governor. Right. She walked away from Senator Gillibrand who was trying to say, I have an idea – can we get some of these legal immigrants, put them upstate New York, alleviate some of the pressure from the urban areas, and then we could be eligible for some pork barrel spending? I'm not thrilled with any of this, but just having said that, that's a Democrat. She won't answer her. Right. Who's ever heard of being a governor and not doing the job? Right. You know, she's just – it's increasingly it looks like paralysis. And, you know, and she's not she's not a dyed-in-the-wool socialist nutso like like – you know, a lot of the people she beat in the primary and a lot of the people in Albany. She's actually, you know, I think her heart is a moderate, but she's just not effective. And on the key issues, the signature issue, like things like bail reform, she's not there. John, uh, you have a few of the columns, which is everything we're talking about, but I'll try to put it into here. First off, when President Biden said over the weekend at a fundraiser that hey, Armageddon, real opportunity, real chance, walks by reporters but says it at a fundraiser. Among the people that you write about and bring forward that were upset by this to be more responsible is a guy that was calling out Trump regularly, President Macron. So yeah. the French leader took a guy who was former chairman of foreign relations and took him to task. I mean, I keep hearing that this is the closest we've been to nuclear war since the Cuban Missile Crisis, and yet it all feels a lot more like a video game than the Cuban Missile Crisis probably did. You know, I've seen 13 days. I, It seems like that was a very tense period of American I would history. think so. I feel like we're all just kind of coasting now a little bit. And right. it doesn't feel like we're – but apparently we are close to Armageddon according to the president. So, And, and in reality is what you write about <laughs> is that we're not. 
They have done nothing to move their nuclear right. arsenal into into theater. They've you no know, people looked at this and know what tactical nukes do, and they say tactical nukes wouldn't even benefit his guys uh, in battle right now. So why would you say it? And among the people that said, why would you say it? Is the president of France? Yeah, I just as a general rule, it's never good for the president of the United States to be talking about Armageddon. Right. I'm pretty sure that was <laughs> – I would avoid that. I mean the other thing is I would give him the benefit of the doubt if there was a tactic to it. So you might say to yourself, what's he saying by exposing this story? Is he making Putin say, wow, they must have intelligence on me? But he lost benefit of the doubt because he was doing the same thing leading up to the invasion, yeah, saying I, all things look like an invasion, looks like an invasion. And their theory was if we expose that we know that they won't do it because it will be telegraphed, wrong. I, I think yeah I would I would res, resist the urge to think anything of like seven D chess here I think he's just said something flippantly and I remember when he called for regime change in Russia and then his staff had to be like well actually we don't we don't really want regime change he just he sometimes just says stuff and I think Trump was the same way uh, right uh, but people say yeah he's a businessman who tends to all on the cover and go on instinct now when they do this they wait a second this is the guy who's supposed to bring back normalcy. Uh, to government, and what he does is, especially on foreign policy, is supposed to be his forte. All you have is a lot of walking back of his statements at a time of consequence, right. and you have his vice president who confuses North and South Korea, and a vice president seems totally out of her depth, just amazed when she found out there was a divide between the two, and there was a DMZ line as she looks through binoculars at it, you know, almost like a tourist no. rather than a leader. When we come back, I want to talk about what is your uh, uh, your uh, area of expertise, another area, and that is Hunter Biden. What's developed on that front? What are Republicans prepared to do? Is there a danger of overstepping, and is the administration ready for the barrage of probes? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. John Levine's here to the New York Post. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You know, I was ready to sit down with anybody that needed me to or travel wherever I wanted to. And um, they were supposed to be working a follow-up interview. And Tim Tebow, in his last discussion with my legal counsel, was, listen, we know Tony's cooperating. We appreciate all the information he's provided. Uh, We will follow up with you. We're definitely going to have him come in uh, for a follow-up interview or spend some more time on this. And um, I haven't heard from them since. Can you imagine a grand jury being impaneled and not asking Tony to voluntarily come, voluntarily come up and talk about what it was like dealing with the Biden family, the president, as well as his son? Uh, John Levine's here, knows all about this. I uh, wrote a story about the, the latest revelations that come out of that laptop and beyond. John, your reaction to what Tony Bobolinsky said, are you surprised he was never asked to follow up? There doesn't seem to be an honest broker amongst them. Well, no. I mean, I think we've we've seen over and over again the FBI is completely politicized, and and they have been in possession of the hard drive since at least 2019, and they've done nothing. And we've now had a allegedly years long investigation, which has produced no results to date. And now maybe after the midterms, maybe there'll be some weapons charge, and he didn't report his income tax or. 
I'm not even convinced there won't be some kind of plea, and it's all just you know one hand washes the other. Well, we'll I would, see. Uh, I would say this, or they're going to pretend to, wow, this guy had an addiction problem. One out of every four families has an addicted person in their friends or amongst their family. How could you not relate to this? He's clean now. It's really not about Hunter Biden. No, it's not. But you talk about in your column that the Biden administration is already staffing up <clears throat> to fight against a would-be Republican House who wants to probe the Hunter Biden situation. Oh, yeah. They are, they are putting together a team in the White House. It's, it's people who report directly to the president. It's being led by a guy named Richard Sauber, longtime you know, Democratic super lawyer in D.C. And the comms guy is a man named Ian Sams. He used to be Kamala Harris's comms person when she ran for president. So <laughs> not the greatest track record there. But um, this team is already costing $265,000 a year in salary. And it's expected to grow if Republicans take back the House. So – and this is this is not just money that grows on trees. It's your money. It's my money. It's taxpayer money. So um, you're looking at the White House potentially spending seven figures, millions of dollars on on lawyers and comms people to deflect and run interference on probes, oversight probes. But Hunter is not a part of the administration. No. They're already committing $265,000, you write, in salary. Uh, for these lawyers they haven't picked out. Of course, they're going to need lawyers. They're going to need paralegals. They're going to need researchers. Yes. They're going to fan out. They're going to grow. And they're going to look to defend a guy. And I know they're probably going to be a PR people, crisis managers working with them to say, this is how you make them look like they're bullying yeah. a former crack addict who seemed to love hookers and tape everything. Right. And I think, and we, we alluded to this a moment ago, like obviously Hunter should be punished for things like the gun crime and, and lying on the federal form saying he's not a drug addict when he is a drug addict. But this is not just about Hunter's malfeasance with individual things like that. This is much more about – and the reason this is a national story is potentially President Biden's involvement and, and where and how was President Biden involved and how is potentially the president compromised by his involvement. These are the questions that a House-led GOP oversight probe – is, is going to try to answer. And if you want to use leverage over President Biden to make sure he does not run again, maybe you say, Mr. President, I'm going to stop blocking this unless, of course, you decide that 78 is old enough. You don't need to be 82. Well, uh, I'll tell you, nobody on the Democratic side wants Joe Biden to run again. It's- Thanks, John Levine. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Biden, where he's at right now this morning, an average of a 42.9% approval rating. Let's take every recent president at this point, 28 days out from their first midterm. What were their average approval ratings? You can see where that 49, 42.9 fits in. A tick less than Trump, couple points under Obama, basically identical to Bill Clinton back in 1994. One exception here was George W. Bush. This is about a year after 9-11 when his popularity was still stratospheric. And you see what this has translated into in terms of House seats gained and lost in midterms. Again, Biden is right in that range. Trump lost the House. Obama lost the House. Clinton lost the House in 94. Giant gains for the opposition party. On this metric, Joe Biden is right in that extreme danger zone for a president. Yeah, that's Steve Kornacki of MSNBC thinking that I did not know that. Can you imagine this with a compliant press that doesn't even point out his egregious errors? Like, for example, two words made in America. He actually say that. Yes. To start a speech off. 
uh, with all the covering, he's still below where Trump was, who was attacked by almost every branch of the media. But not the Dennis Prager show or Dennis Prager. He's the host and he joins us now. Brand new book out, The Rational Bible. Dennis, welcome back. It's great to be with you always. Thanks. Hey, Dennis, first off, what do you think of uh, the the analysis there of Steve Kornacki? He's uh, obviously swimming against the tide in predicting things are breaking the Republicans' way. Is that how you see it? Hmm. You know, I've been broadcasting for 40 years, I'm proud to say, and I love it. And I, I don't think I ever made a prediction. The only prediction maybe that I've ever made is that if America abandons its traditional values, Judeo-Christian and American values, uh, we're doomed. But that's not a prediction. That, that, that's an obvious fact. Uh, I don't know what will happen in these elections. Given the, uh, the, the censorship of the social media, given the, the, the mendacity of the mainstream media, the propaganda that we are drowning in, I don't know. I, I simply don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I, I only know. I only know when people ask me. You know, I think you'll enjoy this, Brian. The uh, people ask me, "Are you optimistic or pessimistic?" So here's my answer. I think that optimism and pessimism are both dangerous. The optimist says everything will work out, so he doesn't. Uh, so he doesn't fight. The pessimist says nothing will work out, so he doesn't fight. So. I'm not an optimism fan or a pessimism fan. All I know is we have to fight because th- this country is in more trouble than at any time since the Civil War. In what in what respect? What makes you feel that? What brought you to the point where you make a statement that, and with someone such a perspective on history to say that, what brought you to that point? Oh, well, how about this? I, 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 of course, I could answer this for an hour, but I'll give you one example. And if you want more, I'll give you more. Uh, Every poll shows that between 40 and 50 percent of young Americans do not believe in free speech for hate speech, meaning that which means, of course, they don't believe in free speech. Mm -hmm. Well, what do they believe in free speech for love speech? I mean, that's not free speech. Free speech means that something I hate or think is hateful. I allow to speak when the Nazis wanted real Nazis. Uh, wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois, when I was a kid in the 70s, uh, and they they chose Skokie because so many Holocaust survivors lived there. Virtually every liberal organization, even many Jewish organizations, said, this is America. Nazis can march in Jewish neighborhoods. So uh, I grew up in, in an America that cherished free speech, which is the single most important freedom of all. It, it, half this country does not cherish free speech. And uh, that's that alone constitutes a mortal threat to the country. You know, I also thought, too, they say we want to restore human uh, human rights back to our foreign policy. The same foreign policy that says buy solar panels from the Uyghurs who are enslaved and forced to make it against their will. That doesn't seem that doesn't seem to add up to anything. And let's do a deal with the Iranians who have killed 185 of their citizens. And it all spurred because they killed a woman who wasn't wearing our hijab right. Well, listen, if people understood how lithium batteries are made, they wouldn't idealize the electric car. It strips it, it strips the earth, right? I mean, to- and, 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 it, and it uses child labor, which would be regarded here as pure evil. Gotcha. So you, there's very few people in a conversational way that can break down the Bible like you can. And you took it to the next level with the rational Bible. What's your approach here? Well, as the title suggests, uh, uh, so I'll just speak personally. My my route to God and religion is through reason. 
Uh, other people have uh, have other routes. I, I never disparage other ways to arrive at God and, and the Bible. But uh, for me, since I was a child, if something doesn't make sense, uh, I just didn't accept it. So I am making sense of everything uh, in the Bible, in the first five books, which are, which are the the key books of the Bible. Everything else in the Bible is rooted in those five books, the five books of Moses, the Torah, whatever term you wish to use, creation, uh, the Garden of Eden, love your neighbor, love God, that the Ten Commandments, it's all in the first five books. And uh, if people would read the reviews. There were 4,000 of them on Amazon for Genesis and Exodus. Today, literally today, the third of the five volumes is coming out, Deuteronomy, which is the last of the volumes. I didn't follow it in order. By the way, uh, uh, anyway, if they read the reviews, they'll see uh, it has has deeply deepened the faith of people who already believe— and it has brought agnostics and atheists to take God seriously. It's, it, it, I know biblical Hebrew like English, and that obviously has been a great advantage. Deuteronomy, you will, you will find fascinating, was the single most quoted book by the founders of the United States of America. The second, second place was Montesquieu, the, uh, the French Enlightenment thinker. First place, Deuteronomy. So it is uh, Deuteronomy, I'm looking it up, it says the command to leave. Can you expand on what it means? Yeah, no, Deuteronomy actually is from the Greek. Uh, uh, it means second law. This Deuteronomy has the most laws of any book of the Bible, 240, I believe. And I explain every one of them. The, the meaning of it is, this is Moses recapitulating the previous three books. He doesn't recapitulate Genesis. And it it is fascinating, including the Ten Commandments again. God gives them an exodus, and Moses repeats them in Deuteronomy. But interestingly, he has two little changes which are fascinating. But I'll let the reader find them out, because... I got to leave people in suspense. I understand that. I know you're not when it comes to politics, not in the prediction business, but I know you could point out what's wrong. Is there something uh, that the Bible would have? Is there something wrong with wanting to secure your borders? Does that show a lack of compassion? Does that show that you don't care about people that were not all uh, were all God's family? If you don't take care of your borders, it means you don't care about your country. I mean, is that, that's definitional. It, you don't have a country. Without borders, you don't have a country. And, and the left doesn't want uh, national divisions. It wants uh, uh, the international bodies to, to, uh, to rule the world. Uh, this is not a, a conspiracy theory. It, they say it. They, they find nationalism and any belief in the importance of one's nation to be equatable to fascism. So that is part of the battle. And and the it's, it's interesting, when God blesses Abraham, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. There is an understanding and that God himself wants there to be nations. That's 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 in the Tower of Babel story, which is fascinating. Where where when people united with one language, all they did is build a tower to go up into the sky and, and uh, challenge God. 
which is, I mean, the whole thing, everything in it is so contemporaneous that I'll give you one example. It, it, Deuteronomy and, and Exodus have a law. You, not, you may not favor a rich man or a poor man in, in, in the courtroom. In other words, social justice is unacceptable. Social justice is injustice. If there's a poor man and a rich man in a courtroom, social justice says award the poor man the judgment because he needs the money much more than the rich man. But justice says that's irrelevant. You just do what is just. Justice and social justice have nothing to do with one another. It's one of the many, many, the infinite number of insights that you get from, from this read. Anyway, I would ask people a very simple question. And I did this on my radio show, my great experiment, as I call it, my human laboratory. If you don't get your wisdom and your values from the Bible, tell me what book you get it from. And it was fascinating. The, 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 the answers were, were, were either just sad or, or non-existent. People think that you just get wisdom by, by, by getting older. That's nonsense. You never heard of an old fool? <laughs> You have to learn wisdom like you have to learn music or physics. And, and, and this is the wisest book. And my proof is, I knew this when I went to Columbia. This was the, great, the greatest single revelation I had in my life. And that is that the most secular institutions in the, in the, in the country, the universities, are the least wise. There is more foolishness in the most secular institutions. And therefore, I concluded that the, the proverb is accurate. Wisdom begins with fear of God. If there's, there's, when there's no Bible, there's no wisdom. I challenge anybody listening to tell me one secular institution that has wisdom. Well, I'll give you an example. I don't know if this is a good example of wisdom, but we talked about uh, they, they talked about America being a compassionate country. Kamala Harris last night talked about our immigration system uh, and how uh, migrants are being used. Cut twenty one. I mean, we're talking about people who have fled great harm. They've fled great harm. And they are coming here seeking refuge. And talk about political theater. I mean, playing games with people's lives, with their lives. You know, there were mothers with sleeping babies getting off those buses. Right. Uh, There's also young men, prime of their lives, who said, America is a lot better than my country. I think I'll be here. Do you even think she's being sincere when she says that? Well, I have asked, because I've studied the left since I, I was at, 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 as I mentioned, Columbia. I was at the Russian Institute, at the, and, I, and I specialized in communism and communist countries. All of my life, I have asked, does the left believe what it says? Do they believe men give birth? Do, do, I mean, just as, that's one perfect I don't know. example. Do they, re, do they really believe it? And... Uh, I have now come to, to the belief that if you say anything enough, you start – forget others. You start to believe it. The, so, I mean, K- Kamala Harris is not a particularly bright woman, and and she doesn't say things that are particularly insightful. Th- this notion that they're all fleeing something bad, by that criterion, most of the world should come to the United States. Yes. We, we have no country. And she's saying that, they, right. and, and by the way, we didn't, Griff Jenkins was just on the border, and this guy came across, he was from Sri Lanka, and he said, where you come here? He goes, I want to come here. He goes, it's better than my country. That's not exactly. a reason to come here. Oh, it is a reason for them. It's not a reason for us to open the borders. But I, I, if I were him, I would do the same thing. 
Uh, I completely empathize with the people trying to get into America. It's the greatest country ever invented. The left hates the country. Sri Lankans love it. So when you see people in the big picture, Dennis Prager, who want to box up statues of Christopher Columbus and take them down in the middle of the night, let alone uh, Abraham Lincoln off grammar schools. And now I think Alexander Hamilton just came off of school. Uh, They had Patrick Henry come down. Uh, There was just about every founding father has been subjected to it. Benjamin Franklin, as you know, ended up uh, abolitionist from the beginning. He wasn't. So when you see these, and Teddy Roosevelt moved off the front of the Museum of Natural History, a museum that really exists because of him and his family, when you see all this stuff because they weren't perfect people, how do you feel about that? Well, again, uh, that's why I'm writing the Rational Bible series. So here's an answer. It's from Genesis. God sees the world as just rooted in evil decides to destroy it and save Noah and his family. Why does he save Noah? And here is the verse exactly I'm translating in my mind from the Hebrew. And Noah was a righteous man in his generations. You judge people in their generations. In their generations, the founders of this country were moral giants. In fact, they're moral giants, putting, putting aside the issue of owning slaves, which of course is horrible, But in that world, it was normal. It was normal for Africans to own slaves, for Indians to own slaves, for Asians to own slaves. Ten times as many slaves went to Brazil as to to, to the United States. Does does Brazil go through this this self-immolation that that we are? There's no wisdom in this. These The reason all these people want to come here is because of Jefferson and Adams and Washington. That's the point. It's because Columbus founded this this place with all the terrible things that happened, which were completely, again, unfortunately, the norm in those days in, in, in all of the world. If it weren't for Columbus, and I'm using him metaphorically, somebody else would have ultimately come here. But if it weren't for Columbus, where would this guy in Sri Lanka want to go to? <laughs> I'll bet you he celebrates Columbus Day. I'm sure he will. Uh, Dennis, that's as angry as I ever heard you, but you weren't even really angry. You're just passionate. Dennis Prager, host of the Dennis Prager Show. The Rational Bible is now out. Uh, congratulations, Dennis. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Thanks a lot. You got it. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. That is Tulsi Gabbard carving up Kamala Harris. And she had 
basically nothing to say, and she just put down her candidacy. Says, well, she's an all-star and only got 2% of the vote. No, she's called. She prepared for a debate. People didn't want to listen to her because they want someone left-wing. They were, at that time, firmly behind this guy named Bernie Sanders. A moderate like Tulsi Gabbard has no shot. So she thought she'd just come in, be on the main stage, and carve up Kamala Harris, who— the previous week, it destroyed Joe Biden about busing. I was that little girl, remember? That little girl was me, remember? And that is why Jill Biden still does not like the vice president of the United States. Now she just is incompetent rather than like or dislike. Uh, that's pretty much the, this, the story with her. Tulsi Gabbard made news today. She put out on social media that she is no longer a Democrat. Not that it will shock the Democratic Party, but it also just underlined the fact that a lot of people look at the whole pronoun thing, this push to tra- transgender rights as if it's a mainstream issue, the whole uh, hating of America, rewriting our past, uh, spending us through green, through green energy. It's just not how you feel. Well, you got somebody to follow now and still be a Democrat. You could say Tulsi Gabbard. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Go to briankilmeade.com. See me in Brantford, Mississippi, talking about our history and stuff like this, as well as Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then in Newark, New Jersey. Brian Kilmeade. We did it, Joe. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.